0: He tenei, nā
2: te reo irirangi o Aotearoa.
3: From the arrival of New Zealand and Samoa during the First World War to the Spanish flu epidemic.
1: One family, the whole lot died.
3: To the formation of the Mao movement and the parade that was met with police opening fire in the crowd.
4: Probably one of the first ever occasion where a march
3: of that kind took place the relationship between New Zealand and one of its closest Pacific neighbours has not always been an easy or peaceful one.
5: One of these rifle shot wounded leader of the Mao, the big, very big high chief known as Tamasesi.
3: Tupua Tamasesi Lea Lofi III was a leading figurehead of Samoa's Mao movement. He was killed on the 28th of December 1929, a date remembered as Black Saturday. Kia ora, talo lava. I'm Kuro Uta, and you're listening to Untold Pacific. In this episode, we focus on Samoa, its fight to regain independence from first Germany, then New Zealand, and the events along the way, including the Spanish flu that killed 20% of Samoa's population, and the rise of the Mao movement, because without those events, Black Saturday wouldn't have happened. We'll start the story towards the end of the 1800s, after Samoa had been through two civil wars. Amidst that tribal warfare, Germany, Britain and the United States were scrapping for influence. All had trading posts in Samoa, growing and trading cocoa, rubber and copra. but before long they were claiming territory. So at the end of those civil wars in 1899, and with next to no input from indigenous Samoans, the three Northern Hemisphere powers divvied up the islands. America got what's now known as American Samoa, Britain took lands in Solomon Islands and Africa from Germany, and the Germans were left in charge of what we now know simply as Samoa. The Samoans themselves had little choice but to go along with all of this. Well, at first.
5: They seemed to accept what what the
3: Germans said commentator and historian Tom Smith from New Zealand Broadcasting Corporation's 1972 documentary Black Saturday's Burden, sharing his take on the Berlin administration in Samoa.
5: But they were careful to maintain their own control in the villages and their attitude generally while the Germans were there, they had their central government, it didn't control the
3: Samoans very much. But while it can't be denied that Samoan land had been taken by the Germans, not everyone disliked them. They established the copper industry around the 1850s, And for some, the positive memories remain, rather than the negative ones.
5: Where it did attempt to control them, they did object. The uh, Mao of Pule was actually a reaction against German control by the orators of Pule in Savai, who thought that they weren't having enough say. But in general, the um, Samoans accepted the German rule passively.
3: We're quite hospitable people. Tuwiatua Tupua Tamasisi Efi is the nephew of the former Mao leader, Tupua Tamasisi Lealofi III. Of course we can be quite fierce if there is a confrontation, but by and large, you know, they were uh, good relations. Tuwiatua says there was some appreciation for what Germany brought to Samoa there was a feeling for the Germans that is reflected because, I mean, they did a lot of
1: good things, a feeling of fellowship because of the sharing for
3: uh, so many years. Samoa prospered economically under a 14-year German administration, and the Germans also improved other aspects of life too. The Germans introduced a new school system, a hospital and public roading, and local women were trained as nurses to work in the hospital
4: a lot of Samoans were actually employed by the Germans.
3: Leah Soolangi, Dr. Malama mele is a Samoan historian living in Apia.
4: Because they were working for the Germans, their loyalties go straight to the Germans. By the time the New Zealanders came, uh, I think it's fair to say that quite a lot of Samoans were quite fond of the Germans. I mean, there's all sorts of anecdotes of Samoans sort of standing up and expressing sorrow that the Germans had to leave. One very high ranking chief got up and expressed his sorrow.
3: Opportunities and growth were abundant, but when the First World War broke out in Europe between the big powers, attention also turned to their colonies. And that's when New Zealand enters the Samoan picture. In August 1914, New Zealand formed the Samoan Expeditionary Force at Britain's request. Its mission was to go to Western Samoa and seize German property, including a strategically placed wireless telecommunication station capable of sending signals to the German fleet throughout the Pacific. It wasn't as dangerous a mission as it might sound, but we'll get to that in a minute. Colonel Robert Logan was appointed to command the SEF. He was a member of the New Zealand Staff Corps at the time, commander of the Auckland Military District.
6: The Germans, earlier in 1914, had put up a large radio mast which was being used to direct
3: German warships around the Pacific. Here's journalist Michael Field, who's reported on the Pacific for the best part of 30 years. He's the author of the book, Samoa More Samoa, Black Saturday, 1929. And he says that this wireless station was critical infrastructure. Britain wanted
6: the radio mast closed down. And so New Zealand was loading up
3: ships in Wellington and sending them off. And when Britain said jump, that's exactly what New Zealand did. Led by Lieutenant Colonel Logan, 1,400 volunteer soldiers from the New Zealand Expeditionary Force landed at Apia at the end of August to, well, no opposition. Not a single soldier. At the time of the attack, the Germans didn't have any military on the island, although they did before 1914. And there are a couple of theories as to why the German officials in Samoa weren't armed properly. Here's one. the Governor
6: Solve had created a Samoan police force in February 1914. Some members of the police force, and they were in their late teens, they went on a rampage through Opolo, killing and attacking Germans. Almost all the available ammunition to fight An invasion of Samoa was wasted, chasing these Samoan boys around. So when the New Zealanders arrived, the Germans couldn't do anything, uh, and they
3: surrendered. Now, the interesting thing about how New Zealand gains administration of Samoa is that it wasn't part of the original plan, not in Britain anyway.
6: When Britain issued the order to go to Samoa and close the radio station, they were instructed not to claim Samoa for New Zealand, and were instructed not to raise the New Zealand flag; they raised the Union Jack.
3: New Zealand's doing Britain's dirty work, essentially, while Britain holds tightly onto the reins. New Zealand
6: wasn't given Samoa; it was given it as a, a mandate, and it was clearly told after the war it would have to be negotiated.
3: And of course, while all of this is going on, changes are about to happen. Between 1914 and 1926, Samoa was in the hands of a New Zealand administration. By
4: the time the New Zealanders came, it's fair to say that quite a lot of Samoans were quite fond of the Germans.
3: Dr Malama Malaysia again. The first seven years of New Zealand
4: administration was military administration, and Logan was the first administrator.
3: Logan had some experience in local government, but unlike the Germans who had an interest in Samoa customs and traditions, Logan wasn't so empathetic or accommodating. He was seen to be pretty careless and negligent in retrospect. He
4: was a a sheep farmer from Otago and was a member of the local council. And that was his claim to have administrative experiences as a a colonial administrator. Certainly compared to the Germans, he was a very lightweight.
3: And it would soon show... That this former sheep farmer was way out of his depth. His skill set was redundant in this new position because what's about to take place has long-term repercussions that can never be undone. Not long after New Zealand and Britain staked their claim in Samoa, New Zealand brought something else with them: disease. A failure to quarantine the SS Talune spread the global influenza epidemic to Western Samoa. Today, the world's accustomed to COVID-19 and the damage it's caused. And by March this year, there were already more than two and a half million deaths from the coronavirus. But the Spanish flu infected about a third of the world's population, killing around 50 million people. Samoa was particularly hard hit. Archival audio from NZBC Black Saturday's Burden again.
7: Well, on the 7th of November 1918, the ship Talune arrived in our pier from Auckland with passengers who were suffering from pneumonic influenza. When the vessel left Auckland the disease was not notifiable in New Zealand but it had become so by the time it reached Samoa, but no action was taken to prevent the passengers mixing with the civilian population.
3: While the passenger ship had been quarantined in Fiji, there were no restrictions once it arrived in Samoa. Here's more from that same archival audio.
7: After they had moved ashore and other people who were infected with the disease but hadn't yet developed it spread among the population.
3: Within two months, just under 20% of Samoa's population died and more continued to die over the next six months.
7: One should compare this with the fact that during the First World War, the total loss of population in New Zealand was somewhere about
3: 1.5%. It had a massive social impact on the way Samoans practised their culture and traditions. Back to Michael Field.
6: Famously, Logan, who'd been the governor, under whose reign this had happened, he said in one report, don't worry, they'll get over it.
3: If you want to know more about the epidemic and Logan's role, check out RNZ's Black Sheep podcast. There's a whole episode on it. But there was no getting over a tragedy that could have been averted. Close to 9,000 Samoans passed away. The loss of so many lives weighed heavily on the people who remained. Here's Tupua again. A
1: dreadful event... It killed about a quarter of our population. My people on both sides suffered very much. and It was quite traumatic, and there were no people to bury
3: the dead. It festered and made it worse. His mother's side of the family was hit the hardest. You know, I
1: was very much aware of how much it impacted on my grandfather because he lost a lot of his family. And particularly his only son, that broke up the marriage, the trauma of this boy who was in the love of their life, he died. If he talked about the epidemic, he'd break up into a, a bawling child. He just couldn't stop
3: himself. Because the tragedy was so massive and incomprehensible. Superstition was growing amongst the locals.
1: There's also a fear that there is a curse here because there is a breach of the underpinnings of our culture, particularly in so far as it affected our values, our vision and most importantly the toa'oi, the boundaries there was a uh, treading of boundaries and therefore that carried in Ireland, in Mamala, meaning that there's a curse that flows from us.
2: All the graves from Wai they moved the graves just to make this pretty village.
3: PP Robertson heard stories passed down her family line long after all of this had happened, but these were the kinds of stories the older generation struggled to share.
2: They had to shift all those graves out. Loads of people piled up in the front of the houses on the side of the road, wrapped them up in the mats, and, and there'd be a pile, probably about ten or maybe more, because it was just too many people dying all at once. They have to make sure that they're on the side of the road so that they can get taken away and buried.
3: Robert Logan's approach was later labelled militaristic and unimaginative and two months later, in January 1919, he left Samoa with his head hung low. A year later, a commission of inquiry from New Zealand found he'd been negligent. You see, at the time of the event, Samoa had been offered help to manage the outbreak, but Logan turned it down out of pride.
4: When the influenza was declared, the whole of American Samoa was guarded by patrol boats and American soldiers around the island to make sure that nobody got in. The ship wasn't able to go. Uh, came here at the height of the outbreak. The governor of American Samoa offered to help. Logan turned it down. I mean, he had all the power as the colonial administrator to do anything he wanted. Including accepting offer from American Samoa. The death rate uh, ranged from particularly the young people and the older one older generations.
6: Michael Field. During the influenza epidemic, almost all the older Matais died. A big chunk of the middle aged Matais were dying. And then there are all these other people just dying everywhere. And then suddenly you're to Pick up your society and move along, as if nothing happened.
3: This is where the Mao really kicks into gear. The Mao was a non-violent movement set on gaining independence from colonial rule. It began during the years of German rule and gained new momentum under the New Zealand administration, especially after the terrible mishandling of the flu epidemic. Mao simply means opinion. Here's Dr Malesia again
4: and our opinion, Samoan opinion against all sorts of things. epidemic influence is one of them. Uh, there were lots of policies which were reintroduced by the New Zealand administration in 1921. There were uh, policies, for example, which allowed the, the governor or the, the administrator to banish uh, Samoans uh, anywhere, anytime, for any reason, without any uh,
3: consultation with anybody. And when Logan came, that's one thing he did that really angered the Samoans. At the same time, he
4: took away the power of banishment from all the villages. We could argue that banishment was a traditional form of punishment. And in
3: 1926, leader of the Mao, Taisi Olaf Nelson, a scholar and one of Samoa's most successful businessmen, got more organised.
6: Basically got a meeting together in our peer to discuss what we would regard these days as government policy on taxation. It was the catalyst, though, for a whole bunch of other people to say we're tired of being messed around with. But there was a sense of panic in the New Zealand government that it might lead to other things. It might open a can of worms.
3: But the Mao wasn't necessarily popular with everyone.
4: I mean, there was a significant part of the country that was not supporting the Māori, but we don't want to go into that. <laughs> uh, but it was certainly a majority of Samoans supported it.
3: By the end of the 1920s, there was a new administrator on the scene. Colonel Stephen Allen felt that the Mao could be eradicated through firm police action, and tensions between New Zealand and the Mao were increasing. By this time, the Mao had garnered widespread support with about 85 to 90% of Samoans joining the movement. Mixed-race Samoans who experienced discrimination were also part of the new movement, and women were encouraged to join too. The matai, or high-ranking chiefs, were leading the way on a path of passive resistance, ignoring visits by resident officials, withdrawing children from local schools, and refusing to pay taxes. They wanted to be heard.
5: We used to make foragers out into villages and places to try to get people who were wanted, arrest them.
3: Again, here's some archival audio from Black Saturday's Burden of unidentified policemen working in Samoa at the time.
5: If you went into a village by yourself, they would stand and throw stones at you and laugh at you and you couldn't do anything about it. If you took in a party of four or five, they wouldn't be in the village, they'd be up in the bush. We used to sometimes try to raid a a valley in a village at two or three o'clock in the morning to take somebody by surprise, but the jolly dogs in the village would go on the air as soon as you got anywhere near it, and by the time you came to the hut where the wanted person had been that his mats were nice and warm, but he wasn't there, he'd gone.
6: Samoa was a really strong Old Testament Christian country. And there was no gain in the Samoan mind to, to launching a war against these people. The leaders of the Mao would sort of say, these people are our guests, we have to be polite to them. Even if they're shooting us?
2: Even the Europeans supported the Mao during that time.
3: Some of those part Europeans, including Olaf Nelson, were at the forefront of the Mao movement, and the New Zealand administrators blamed them for stirring up the native Samoans. So in 1928, they deported some of them to New Zealand. But it made little difference. Samoans carried on the struggle, starting all kinds of boycotts and civil disobedience including the formation of their own police force. Officers wore a uniform, a purple lover lover with a white stripe. The New Zealand administration issued a proclamation for the Mao to disband and they also threatened Pālangi who were involved. That same year, 1928, after two violent clashes between Mao and police, Tupua Tamasese Cecilia Lofi III, the leader of the Mao movement, was arrested and sent to prison in New Zealand for six months. Through 1929, tension simmered, and towards the end of the year, Mao supporters looked forward to welcoming two of their leaders home, Tamasese and Alfred Smythe, a European movement leader who'd spent two years in exile in New Zealand. The supporters made the fateful decision to celebrate with a parade along Apia's waterfront on December the 29th a day that became forever known as Black Saturday.
6: The Mao came down to meet the boat that was bringing back O.F. Nelson's lawyer from Auckland. And the man who had been exiled from Samoa, they were going to greet him, take him out to the Waimusa, have a feast and all go home. There were men in that march who hadn't paid their poll taxes and the police had decided they were going to arrest those men.
4: A lot of people joined in, and walked along uh, the beachfront. Uh, I think that scared the New Zealanders uh, and the police in particular.
3: The New Zealand authorities saw the gathering as provocative, warning that if the wanted men marched, police would take action. But the mob ignored the warning. And although the protest started peacefully, when the police moved in to make the arrests, stones were thrown and that's when the New Zealand Military Police opened fire.
5: Eight Samoans, including the High Chief Tamasesi, and one European policeman, are dead.
3: Unidentified policemen recall what it was like at the scene of Black Saturday and the events that led up to the shooting of Mao leader Tupua Tamasesi.
5: It was a shambles of people running and dashing in all directions. Either side, they would have their own... Native police who are armed with batons or knives. The mail said they were there to uh, keep their own fellows in order. And Suddenly <clears throat> I was hit on the back of the head with something several times and I came to to hear revolvers being fired off around the place and and I could see that the, the return journey to the police station by Ify Ify Street was impossible because the crowd had all were very thick there.
3: While he was a more experienced officer who fired over the crowd's heads, the other officers opened fire on them with rifles. And
5: that caused them to turn
3: and run. Pepe Robertson's grandfather also got caught in the firing line.
2: About seven bullets in his lover-lover, and plus uh, so many bones broken in his body that there was no way that he could survive the, uh, the shooting. The court case was uh, about, uh, was it one of those guns that's just one shot or one of the machine guns? And I think it sounds like the machine guns were used with all those bullets.
3: But during the march, as feelings ran hot on both sides, one of the police officers opened fire with the Lewis gun. Thomas Tamasesi had moved to the front of the Crown to urge calm He was standing, facing the crowd, speaking words of peace. When he was shot in the back. Dr. Melesia says he left some final words as he lay dying that day. Paraphrasing
4: it, I think he said that his blood was spilled for, for Samoa and didn't want
3: uh, people to avenge his killing. There were casualties on the New Zealand side too.
5: When we were cleaning up the town again, we found that Constable Abraham lying dead uh, on the roadside and he'd been beaten over the head with stones.
6: I personally think it was an ambush. Michael Field again. I think it was a plot to kill the leadership of the Mull that the New Zealand administration, they were going to teach Samoans a lesson. They knew that there was going to be gunfire and exchanges.
3: No one knows which shots were the fatal ones, but 11 Samoans and one New Zealander died as a result of the violence, with another 30 wounded in the attack.
6: There was no proper inquiry or investigation. There were no criminal charges for any of it. And yet at least one person involved, the coroner, said there was no necessity for men to be opening fire onto poor Pūtama Well, that implies at the very minimum a
3: manslaughter charge. It was one blunder after another, in a fight for power and control amidst an eruption of fear and panic. So why were the New Zealand administration so heavy-handed
4: who were victims of those kinds of attitudes. We come here, we look after you, and unconditioned that you behave.
3: A month later, strict measures were enforced by administrator Stephen Allen, who declared it illegal for anyone to be wearing the Mao uniform. He wanted to eradicate the movement and for the group to surrender their headquarters but the New Zealanders had a fight on their hands. One and a half thousand men took to the bush. They were pursued by an armed force of 150 Marines and seamen from the HMS Dunedin, who'd arrived from New Zealand along with 50 military police. A seaplane supported military excursions into the bush to also hunt down the fugitives. Colonel Allen, asked for the Navy to come up
6: from Auckland. The Navy arrived up with a first ever Air Force plane New Zealand put into an operation and they were never interested in fighting and they knew full well that New Zealand didn't have unending military supplies and one cruiser load of Marines and sailors was not going to be much of a threat to
3: anybody. Pepe Robertson says the military were also raiding homes.
2: Police and the soldiers come to raid the family houses. The kids are all asleep, but they'll all be awake, screaming and crying, and they're hiding from the police, and they will take the men if they find them. The soldiers will be just coming with the batons and push out the kids and their you know, sheets and whatever's covered to find out if there's any men.
3: The men lived in the hills for around two months, spreading all the way along Upulu. Food was being monitored by officials who were stopping it from going in and out of the villages. That's when the Mao women pitched in, sneaking food into loads of laundry.
2: And when they come back, the soldiers are already standing around there and they'll poke the the washing. Sometimes uh, soldiers will find the, the food, sometimes they don't.
3: Almost four months after Black Saturday, with the men hiding in the hills and the New Zealand military following them, both sides were exhausted. A truce took place. Gradually, the men returned to their villages. Tragically, two children had been killed by New Zealand Marines on the island.
6: There was a post-traumatic stress in the whole community. And what happened in the following months was a realisation by the New Zealand administration that things were starting to go wrong. And Samoans, I think, were reeling again from the horrors that they'd seen, because you know, there were 50, 60 people also wounded in Black Saturday, and some of them were dying later, because there's no antibiotics.
3: By the mid-1930s, there was a new Labour-led government in New Zealand. Rules held by the administration in Samoa were also beginning to relax, and Samoans were able to have greater involvement in their own administration. But change came slowly. Samoa finally won its independence in 1962, and in 2002, New Zealand Prime Minister Helen Clark apologised for Aotearoa's actions on that terrible day. Here's an excerpt from her speech recorded for RNZ's Checkpoint.
7: On behalf of the New Zealand government, I wish to offer today a formal apology to the people of Samoa for the injustices. Injustices arising from New Zealand's administration of Samoa in those earlier years, and to express sorrow and regret for those injustices.
3: But the events leading up to Black Saturday, and the ones that came after, will never be forgotten.
6: The Mao story is a a story from a Samoan perspective of great pride. It's a story that's worth at least something at the scene of Black Saturday, that just tells the story instead of a signpost to Robert Louis Stevenson's house. Even in the heat of demonstration and of protest, do had to find any Samoans who acted dishonorably?
4: New Zealand has been trying very hard to atone for what happened. The most recent one is rebuilding, renewing the cemetery, a mass burial behind our uh, Church. And there was a big commemoration ceremony held. You know, it's the least they could do. And as you know, uh, Helen Clark came and formally apologised for the mount. For the way Samoans were treated. And her apology was actually made in front of the tomb of Thomas Sesse at Le Pen. All the government officials and the Prime Minister and the cabinet ministers were there. It was certainly the right thing from Samoan's perspective. It really opened up quite a lot of emotional feelings about the relationship between New Zealand and Samoan.
3: You're listening to Untold Pacific with an episode on Samoa. I'm your host, Korovakauta, Uta, and the series is produced by Sonia Yi. This podcast was made possible through the RNZ New Zealand On Air Innovation Fund. Special thanks to Ngā Tonga Sound and Vision for archival audio and raw interview resources provided courtesy of Tiki Lounge Productions. The executive producer for the RNZ podcast and series team is Tim Watkin. If you'd like to listen again or to find out more, head to the RNZ podcast page and look up Untold Pacific, where there's also associated video series by Tiki Lounge. You can also find the series wherever you get your podcasts. Catch you again next time. To wha soifua.